Dales or visit DalesRoofing.com. What's wrong with you people? I'm serious. Let's get biblical. Here's Bruce the Theologian on the Elijah Hart Show. I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. And we don't know who we are. Got a little new uh, introduction music for Bruce the Theologian. That R.C. Sproul with the the words over the music. That's tremendous. I'm very excited. Just the, the, it's an honor to be uh, to be uh, introed uh, with the the late R.C. Sproul. All right, uh, Bruce. Question of the day today. It's a snow day. All the kids are home from school. Jackson's sitting here in the studio with me. What is what is your favorite snow story? Um, it's funny you say that because I woke up at about three in the morning, um, knowing it was supposed to snow today, and I remembered the time that I um, walked home from school. Uh, when I, I believe it was 14 or 15, um, and I'd never calculated what the distance was. So when I got up this morning for breakfast, I Google used my Google Maps and, and uh, plugged in my old address um, and plugged in my school address and found out that I walked 6.2 miles home. Uh, this would have been back in the mid-90s uh, from school. How old were you? Uh, about 14 or 15. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, walked at home. The the the, uh, the forecast. Uh, I guess back then the forecasts weren't as accurate as they are now. <laughs> um, but the forecast came in and it started snowing. Um, and they they said you know the buses are going to shut down. People have to have to get the bus or walk home. And I had to take two buses. I had to take two city buses to get from my house to the school. And both those city buses had had ceased uh, functioning for the day. So it was on foot home. So yeah, six point three miles or six point two miles, I should say. Mm-hmm. All right, Bruce, what are we talking about today? What what biblical concept are we exploring? We're talking about non-lordship salvation versus lordship salvation. You're going to have to explain this one. Um, non-lordship salvation um, believes that making Christ as Lord, as mean the Lord of your life, is a secondary uh, post-conversion issue. Um, primarily, um, uh, the, the biggest proponent of that was uh, Charles Ryrie. You may, people have, may have heard of the famous Ryrie Study Bible. Uh, from the 1960s, and he was at Dallas Seminary. Uh, he believed in once saved, always saved, but he also believed that regardless of one's behavior after after a claimed salvation moment, uh, one was still saved, um, rather than the traditional understanding of lordship salvation would be that a changed life is evidence that a person is saved. I would say some of the problems with uh, non-lordship salvation um, is that oftentimes people claim they've had a salvation experience, yet their life doesn't show it and they, they don't function any differently than a non-Christian. Um, the visible church ends up being uh, packed full of non-Christians who claim they've had an experience. And unfortunately, the seeker-sensitive movement uh, of the church um, basically waters down the gospel in order to um, pack in the crowds. And non-lordship salvation is still is still a component in Springfield. It was something that happened in the Primarily in the 60s, um, John MacArthur tried to deal with it with the book in the 1980s, which is called The Gospel According to Jesus. And I think if there was one book that the professing Christians of Springfield should read, it is John MacArthur's 1988 classic, The Gospel According to Jesus. Is where, it better or worse than 88 Reasons Jesus is Coming Back in 1988? I think it's, um, I think, <laughs> the, the, the former, I think, is out of print. I think it's out of print. Um, but I think John MacArthur's book is, is still Lindsay? in. Is that Lindsay? Is that who wrote it? I think it, it was Hal Lindsay, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, MacArthur's book is still in print. It sold hundreds of thousands of copies, and I would uh, wager that it'll still be in print in 100 years. 
So non-lordship salvation, this is more just sort of an emotional, you kind of feel better, right? Yeah, that's part of it, um, but but it, it was just so it was so um, common in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, and even into the 90s, and I think it's still common today, that what people do is they say, when I was at youth camp and I was 12, I went down the front and I signed the card and I said I was saved and now I'm good to go. But they don't have a life to show of... of, uh, of uh, by the fruits, uh, yeah. By the, yeah, we can go. We can get into some verses. By their fruits, um, they don't have a life to show that they they had a new, a renewed heart. They had a renewed mind. They were regenerate. Um, and lordship salvation is something uh, fundamentally different than that. This is such a challenging concept because you can't tell by looking. at There's no exterior. You, you don't get. Uh, you know, unlike the left behind books, you don't get a, a cross doesn't form on your forehead, or there's no outward sign that you are a Christian. Well, the outward sign would be a changed life, a, a, a completely renewed perspective, um, seeing the world through a Christian worldview, uh, having new affections is one of the primary differences. If you, if you have a changed, a changed heart and you've, you've been reborn, as Jesus talks to Nicodemus about in, uh, in John chapter 3, if you're reborn, you have, you're a new creation in Christ and you have new affections, affections that you didn't have before. So you want to study your Bible, whereas pri- previously you had no interest in the Bible. But if the Bible is God's word and you want to know what God says, you read your Bible, you study your Bible, you consume your Bible. And, um, and that can only be um, uh, the result of a changed heart. This is a tough one, especially with children mm-hmm. who get, you know, and you're right, youth camp, Bible Sunday school, whatever it is. A lot of times you'll, oh yeah, I got saved today, but it's a trick to figure out as a parent. Great example. I've got twin daughters. They're both eight, uh, nine. They just are nine. Uh, they both said they got saved at, at, in Sunday school. They really want to be baptized. Mm-hmm. But to me, I'm like, no, no, no. Baptism is, you know, that's something that's very specific. And I'm trying to f- figure out as a parent, I don't want to dissuade them from baptism because I want them to continue. But I'm also like, do I know? Are they like, do I, can I see the fruits or not? And it's a tough thing. I've heard people that are like, just let them be baptized. And, and, you know, two or three years from now, if they're not showing, then you talk to them about it. But why would you try to slow them down on this path? And that it's a tricky thing as a parent. Right. And I think as young children, a combination of parents and then church elders, deacons and the pastor can, can determine uh, the validity of that conversion. Um, And I think they're in a position to do so as parents, uh, pastors, teachers, elders. Uh, and then the church makes a determination whether this is a, a genuine conversion, and then uh, in the in the uh, uh, Baptist uh, case would uh, would baptize the the child as a result of that uh, profession if it's credible. Uh, and you know we're not going to dive back into this whole pedo baptism thing that we mm-hmm. had a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but okay, so there's lordship salvation, there's non lordship salvation. John MacArthur's book. Why this particular book is just this? Is it just because this is the best summation of the subject? I, th- I think uh, for me the, the book is so good because I've I've observed Christianity or professed Christianity in Springfield for the last twenty almost twenty five years, um, and I've seen a lot of non lordship salvation. The majority of the I would say of the professing Christians that I've um, um, had chance to sit down and chat with would would fall into the non non lordship salvation camp. Is this is this sort of down the parable of the sower and the seeds where it falls all over and there's all these different shades but it's only one small group that actually there is i mean the the uh the the um many are called but few are chosen we'll just leave it at that i mean there's tons of verses i would come up with that that would would speak about um 
um, against non-lordship salvation. So uh, you have First John 2.15 that says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. First John uh, 2.19, For if they were had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they were never of us in the, in the first place. And then what I've always called the, the scariest, and there's, there's many more, I'm just picking, picking some random ones. I, I know what verse you're going to say. The, the scariest verse, I think I've told you that before. The scariest verse in the Bible is from Second Corinthians, not Second Corinthians, it's uh, in Matthew, uh, when he says that, uh, uh, I never knew you, depart from me, yeah. you workers of lawlessness. Yeah, this is, yeah. This is the end, this is the, the final judgment, mm-hmm. people rolling in, they got their little Jesus card and they think they're good, uh-huh. and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Mm-hmm. That is the most terrifying verse. I mean, it, it is, is. It, it is, and it dovetails with the verse that says, do not fear those who can destroy the body, fear those who can destroy the soul. The soul. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. paraphrasing, yeah. but that is a terrifying, because at the end of the day, when you step in front of that judgment seat, there's a lot of people that think their card is stamped, uh-huh. and because they, as you mentioned, they signed their, some they card. Signed their a, kid, literally but, signed a card. But yeah. they're, they've, mm-hmm. they've, they're life has not reflected a change right. and and it was it was never there yeah i mean second uh, corinthians five seventeen. therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come um if you love me you will keep my commandments john fourteen fifteen. so i think like i said in my, in my observation in springfield there are so many people that you know my grandfather was a pastor or so and so or i went to vbs when i was a kid or they have some sort of religious story but they may have not attended church for the past 30 years or 15 years or being living you know they've been living a um, you know a uh, a debaucherous lifestyle um but they say oh no i'm going to heaven because when i was 12 i went down and the pa- pastor said you know I- i'm good to go now uh, and that is a is a um, in my opinion a the- theological error that was uh, the- that charles ryrie was the biggest uh, the biggest proponent of um, I've got it because I tell you this book is so important. I, I would say it's the most, at least for American Christians. It's one thing you've said now twice about the book. <laughs> it's the most important book behind the Bible that Springfield Christians should read. Absolutely. You see this as a more of a problem in Springfield than other parts of the uh, state no, br- broader, country? Broader evangelical Christianity, but Springfield is, is, a, is an interesting place because it's the head of the Assemblies of God. It's the um, uh, There's a, a, um, a substantial fundamental Baptist community here. There's missionary Baptist. The, 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 the Ryrie, st- I, it, put it this way, I think in the 1980s, you could have found you could have found an extreme concentration of Ryrie study Bibles in American and in Springfield Christian homes. And I think because of that, this is this is a, a big issue. And I, I think by my observation, um, I've, I've this issue has come up constantly. And when I read this book, I didn't read the MacArthur's book until in the last 10 years. But when I read it, I was like, this is I mean, I, I agree with everything that was in it. Um, but I was, I was just like, yeah, this is, this is something that other people need to hear about. I'll just read you a couple quick little passages. Contemporary Christians have, and this is MacArthur, contemporary Christians have been conditioned to believe that because they recited a prayer, signed on a dotted line, walked an aisle, and had some other experience, they are saved and should never question their salvation. He goes on, genuine assurance comes from seeing the Holy Spirit's transforming work in one's life, not from clinging to the memory of some experience. And I think so many hmm. people... Um, Especially you hear it from parents, you know, parents of, of people who are in their 30s, 40s or older, that their, their kids have gone off, they've left the church, as, as unfortunately 90% of evangelical children leave um, after the first year of college. Um, and they'll say, oh, well, no, but they were saved at Bible camp when they were such and such. And the, the parent is clinging on to that, but the, the child doesn't have a, a child that's now an adult is never 
has is not regenerate and has never lived a life that was in keeping with the with Christian virtue, and they they're not a new creation in Christ. Um, so I think there's an error there, and I, my biggest problem is is it creates a, a kind of a pseudo Christianity and a false assurance that people are heaven bound, and that they're regenerate when their their life seems to show that they're not. You know, James talks about you know faith without works is dead. You know, I think we I think you you've mentioned someone you know that really loves the book of James. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know we're not saved by our works. Um, a lesser-known uh, theologian uh, once told me, "We are saved by works. We are not saved. Forgive me. We are not saved by works, but we are, we are saved by a faith that works." Hmm. So it's kind of a double a double meaning there. Um, but it's it's your works are a result of your faith, and I think uh, people people lose sight of that. You know, it's funny. I, uh, I and I think I mentioned this quote to you, but I heard the uh, evangelist last Wednesday night use the line. Make sure the life that you're living is worth the price that he paid, which is a very convicting line mm-hmm. uh, to me, but also sort of follows, dovetails on this conversation of if your life isn't reflective of the price he paid, then maybe you've not actually accepted the price that he paid as yourself. I would agree. If, if you're not seeking sanctification and you're not in the word, you're not in the scriptures, you're you're not uh, repenting of your sins on a daily basis because we all sin. You know, there's a, there's a misunderstanding that people, once they come to Christ, don't sin anymore. We all sin. The Bible is very clear about that. We won't be uh, sanctified fully and glorified until we're in heaven, but we should always be um, asking for repentance uh, of our sins. Um, and, um, you know, real, real faith produces obedience. You know, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I think we see so much of kind of a pseudo-faith in, in this area of the country. Um it, it, we see a lot of cultural Christianity as opposed to Christian culture, and there's a substantial difference between the there two. There is a big difference between the two of those. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the in, in the context of this discussion, this seems much more of a discussion that is focused on the churches in Springfield. How does the church, you know, you don't want to tell the churches, okay, don't make people come down front, don't sign a card, but how does the church nurse them up in salvation and or how do they continue to do to to confirm that that salvation has taken place what's how much of the burdens on the church and how much is on the individual there's a great uh, there's, a, there's a burden on both i think the, the burden of the church or the the charge of the church is to exegetically preach the scriptures i think i've i've said this before that so much of church today is um, a cold play concert and a ted talk um and you don't see exegetical you don't see you see very little exegetical uh, preaching of the scriptures you don't hear much hardly at all about sin and repentance um and christ crucified it's 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 so much of of preaching today is things are going to get better for you you're going to be empowered to do great things it's kind of a tony robbins version of christianity um and that for the listener i think the listener has to be one regenerate and and be very receptive um, to what's said from the pulpit when there is exegetical preaching. You know, we, we've uh, I've talked this with my pastor recently um, that some people say, well, you know, someone might say, I don't get anything out of your preaching. Well, the question may be, what do you what are you listening to? Like, are you engaged with the material? Are you writing notes? Are you you know are you are you engaged with the Bible? And then when the preacher speaks on Sunday, are you continually consuming the Bible? And then when you here preaching that isn't biblical, then you you can say, ah, there's something wrong here. Uh, and I think so many churches in the United States today are packed full of Christians that really know nothing about the Bible. I mean, honestly, I've 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 heard some stuff that's just embarrassing that people say they've spent their life in church and they don't even know the gospel. Uh, and I think that is a huge, huge problem. Um, that there's just so much, so much of modern evangelicalism is predicated on biblical illiteracy. 
we're we're so, really yeah. we're really lucky right now. We're right at the beginning of the year. Everybody's got all their New Year's resolutions. We're doing another seventy five hard here on the show mm-hmm. with reading and working out and dieting and things like that. If there's people that are like, man, I've I've either been in the church or I'm not in the church, but they they feel some pull. And you're like, all right, you've already mentioned John MacArthur's book. Mm-hmm. Where where would you be like, listen, if you want to get your year started off in the right foot, where in the Bible would you be like, start here? This is the place. So you you read it front to back. Is there some area to start I, in? I would re- I'd read the Bible from Genesis to Revelations and don't stop. You know, there's pl- there's tons just of, in that order. Yeah, there's tons of Bible reading plans out there. You can read you know a few chapters a day, and by the end of the year, you've read you've read the Bible. Uh, I would encourage every professing Christian to read the Bible. Not many of them will take that challenge up, um, but it's it's like going to class and not having the textbook. If you don't have the textbook, you don't know what's going on, and and, and you're not going to graduate from the class if you don't have the textbook. Um, and just you know, uh, I'll read one quick more MacArthur quote: "Modern evangelicalism is preoccupied with." Decisions, statistics, aisle walking, gimmicks, prefabricated presentations, pitches, emotional manipulation, and even intimidation. It, it's a message, a cacophony of easy believism and simplistic ideals. And I think when you, when you're not biblically literate, you can have a, you can have a, you know, uh, really weak preaching that, that, that the congregation doesn't call the leadership to account and say, hey, we're, this is not the Bible. Um, but back to kind of resources, I would say a good study Bible. I would say the Reformation Study Bible, the ESV Study Bible. I don't know you've got a copy of now. Um, YouTube is a great resource. I'm a big fan of Ligonier Ministries. Um, uh, Alistair Begg is on our uh, is on uh, is on their local radio. Sproul, who who gave our intro today, the late R.C. Sproul, one of the great theologians of the 20th century. Um, uh, MacArthur stuff is out there. YouTube is an amazing resource. We're really blessed to be in a time where you can, uh, all these ministries all have apps that you can download. And I would totally agree with that. And I, and for all the people that talk about how bad the internet is or social media, it is also a potential force for good. Social media is a tool and people Mm -hmm. abuse it, but people can Mm -hmm. also use it. And you're right. You name Last night, my daughter right now is reading through Esther. And I told okay. her I'm going to quiz her at the end of the week. And so right. last night, I go down to put her to sleep, and she's she's written her margins. I got her Bible for Christmas. It's like a it's like a it's like a little girl's Bible. So it's got wide margins, journaling Bible, flowery print. Excellent, and, yeah, Excellent. it's, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so she loves the story of Esther. And I'm like, you got to do Ruth next because we're going to like read about all the women in the Bible. But she's like, well, I need to know how to pronounce these names, and these are names that are not. Well known. Right. It's not just Mordecai. Mm-hmm. It's like Shaganzadai or something. Right. Oh, yeah. And so uh-huh. we're literally sitting there on YouTube and I'm typing in these names uh-huh. and every single one there's a how to pronounce, how to pronounce. And I'm like, it's amazing. Just right at my fingertips. Yeah. And it doesn't matter necessarily about how we do it. Yeah. But like just the study of it and the, the resource of it was is so, so fast. 20 years ago even. We didn't have that. That's true. Two thousand years, we've not had uh-huh. that. And suddenly, it's just, uh-huh. everything's at your fingertips. And, and, it, and in some cases, if you if you type some of those names into a you know search engine or into YouTube, you might find a sermon on that, or you yeah. might find some some totally. deep dive content on some. Of that I, stuff. And those are some of my favorite sermons. And I was explaining mm-hmm. this to to my kids one night. There's there's a, a a line in the Bible, and it feels like a throwaway, but it's weird that it's in there. And I'm like, whatever. There's a detail in there that doesn't make sense. I always assume there's a, a, a very important reason. And some of the best sermons I've ever heard 
are about things in the Bible I'd never really thought about. It just sort of seemed mm-hmm. out of place. And then they preach on it. And you're like, oh my gosh, I've never thought about that portion of the, the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I had I've I had a moment like that a few days ago. And I, I recently this year bought another wide margin Bible. And I am started this 2023, 2024 now we are, um, writing notes in the back and in the margins. It's got an inch margin, inch and a half margin all the way around the text. So you can draw lines and mark up your Bible and, and make basically uh, I'm making my own study Bible. Final story before we're out of time. When mm-hmm. I was in law school, they, they have what's called outlining. Every every class, you, you write an outline of the class. And every day, whatever cases you're on, you talk about it. And then, you know, all the, the conclusion, the rule, the application. Well, there's also outlines that float around the school. And so people be like, oh, do you have the, the, the Civ Pro outline? Do you have the contracts outline? Well, that's that was me. Mm-hmm. So I'd get the outline. Well, then at the end of the year, I went test as well as everybody else. And, and so someone was like, well, the point is not to have the outline. The point is to make the outline. It's the writing of the material right. that puts in your brain. If you get the outline, when you take the test, you have no more memory than, mm-hmm. than, than you had for the textbook. Mm-hmm. It's just the process of making. So then I started making the outlines, and then I was right. testing better. Yeah, and and, that, and that's the same case. Any, any any gifted preacher will tell you, you know, being absorbed in the t- material for twenty or thirty hours a week is a different presentation than having an outline of a sermon because you don't you can't you can't fill it in. Bruce the theologian, as always, we appreciate you joining us. And our one final request: you join social media at some point so we can tag you in our post. We'll see you next week on uh, on this on Tuesday. Thank you so much.